I always tell people that when it's all said and done, I want to be your favorite accountant's favorite accountant. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for the show. Well, for today's episode, we have a guest that I invited on the show because, frankly, some of his posts intrigued me. Eric P. Butts in the Atlanta, Georgia area joins us for this episode. First of all, Eric's career has seemed to go in the direction that so many accountants have told me that they would like to focus their own careers in as well, that of systems and consulting and analysis and overall performance management areas. But then also, Eric has now set up his own website to help others along the way in their own career journeys. I'm going to give you that URL or that web address now, but please listen to the interview first, of course. Just make a note for later. His website is www.ericpbutts.com. That's two T's. If you have an interest in taking your own career in a similar direction as Eric's, I think you're going to find some really useful insights into what Eric has out there online. If you do also enjoy this episode and you learn something from it that's unique, please share it out on social media. We love it when we gain new listeners, and of course, it helps others learn a little something along the way as well. I know it takes a little extra effort, but if you can spare just an extra minute or two to help others find us, I'd really appreciate it. And thank you so much to those that have done exactly that. We've seen an increase in the last few months, and that is so nice to see. Thank you so much. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with today's interview. Here's Eric P. Butts in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, hello, Eric. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Glad to be here. Wonderful. Well, for the audience, we have Eric P. Butt on the show with us today. And Eric is a CPA, but what caught my attention online and actually caused me to invite him on the show was a blog entry that he wrote regarding careers. Eric's own background lies more in the area of reporting systems and analytical areas, but he's also out in the marketplace providing strategic insight for individuals on their own career direction. So this is definitely going to be a valuable interview for all of us. I know I'm really going to enjoy this one. Eric, before we get into the present day, it's important for the audience to understand exactly where you came from and how you got to where you are today. So let's start at the beginning. What led you to decide to consider accounting as a possible career choice in the first place? Thanks, Mark. So back in my junior year in high school, I was in this program. It was called LEAD, Summer Program in Business. I spent four weeks at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, so great college town. And I met one of the partners at Deloitte, and I was looking at this person and thinking, this is a way I will be able to support myself. I'll never have to worry about needing money again. And from then on, I knew I just wanted to be an accountant. Wow, that's quite an impression. (laughs) Yeah, she described her career path. She was five years as senior manager or director and went to partner. But the thing that really caught my attention is that it didn't require additional school, at least not at that time, before the 150 hours. And so once she graduated from college, she was able to make it on her own. And that's something that was really a top priority for me. Okay. Okay. And you said junior in high school, right? Yeah, junior in high school. Okay. Wow. Very early. So did you start immediately as an accounting major and just go straight through school? Because I think I saw a little different degree. I'm not sure. What was your, I guess, school process like? 
Yeah, so I went to a small art school called Claremont McKenna Colleges in Southern California. It's part of a five-school consortium, but my school itself was about a 1,000 people. And I tell you that basically to say that the majors were a little weird for accounting people. So my major was technically econ accounting. So it wasn't a standalone accounting program. It was a subset of the econ department. It was more of an accounting concentration. So I did that along with mathematics. So that was my undergrad degree. Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, we've had a few other guests on the show that went to smaller school or school that didn't have an accounting major per se. And so the title was a little different, but basically the education ends up being the same. It's probably actually maybe even a little more varied, (laughs) which is beneficial. (laughs) Yeah, I think it is a little more varied because even like something like uh, audit, I never took audit until after I graduated. So I think that was a big differentiator from some of the you know, like pure accounting programs. Okay. Okay. So how did you get your first professional job? I was looking, it looks like it may have been Pepsi, but I'm not sure if what I saw was complete. How did you get your first professional position? Yeah, so it was Pepsi and I got the position through an internship and I got the internship through a different program I was involved with called Inroads. It was inroads.org if you want to look it up. But it's a program that it was about taking people from underrepresented or lower economic background and getting them exposure to business and giving them some of the training that will help them be successful. So I got an internship through them, and I did two summers there. And after my second summer, they offered me a full-time job, and I went ahead and accepted that, came back from Cali, back home to Chicago, and started my career as a corporate accountant for PepsiCo, a.k.a. Quaker Oats, which is the division that I worked in. Okay. I didn't realize that. Okay. What was that first position like? I mean, I I know we're going back a few years here, but I guess what did you do and how do you feel that that sort of set you up for either learning more or or your next steps? There's a story I tell about this, and I remember it very, very well because I thought in college that I was really good at Excel until I started that job. And I remember the first time where I ran into a situation where I didn't know what a piece special values was. And I ended up hand keying the spreadsheet all over again. (laughs) So I remember that being a very humbling experience and just learning a lot, like right off the bat. So people were, they thought it was funny amusement at the new hires expense, but we got there. They got me on the straight and narrow. (laughs) You keyed in the whole thing over again. Whole thing over again. I was terrified to tell anyone. And then when they found out what took so long, they they thought it was pretty hilarious. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. That is funny. (laughs) Thank you for sharing it, too, because there's someone else out there somewhere, you know, that's doing something similar. (laughs) Yep, it happens all the time. That's why I tell people, don't be afraid to ask questions you think are dumb. It'll save you a lot in the long run. (laughs) So how long did you remain with the Pepsi organization? So I was at Pepsi for about five years, and towards the end of that, I decided I was going to go back to actually do my MBA, and I did the part-time program. I wasn't sure why or what I wanted to do, rather, but I knew I needed to do something because one of the things that I experienced was for me personally, having moved back to Chicago, but having this sort of smaller school degree from California – The name recognition wasn't really getting the respect I thought it deserved. So I was looking to add something else to the resume to kick open those doors a little bit. Okay. Were you thinking about a certification yet at this point in your career, or was that something you decide on later? You know what? That that was actually after the certification. So as far as the CPA goes, I decided in 2006, this is about a year after I started, to pursue this. 
that was driving that was similar. You'll probably sense the theme here is that I was looking around and a lot of people were telling me, you don't really need your CPA. You don't need your CPA. But I'm looking at the supervisors. They're all ex-Big4 with CPAs, controllers of CPA. All the people in the spot that I wanted to be had CPAs. So I was like, I'm going to go ahead and get this CPA, regardless of what people are saying. So I did that in 2006. And then in 2007, that's when I decided to go back to school part-time. It was a situation where it's more, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I felt like I was getting a little bored with the progression that I was having. Like I liked the people I worked with. I liked the job but I wanted to do more and do it at a faster pace than I could do there. So I ended up going back to Northwestern to get my MBA. Okay. Okay. It sounds like the process to get the CPA was fairly straightforward for you, but you know, in case it wasn't, I'm just curious. I mean, did you, I mean, did you pass the first time or did you struggle with finding the right situation, you know, study situation for yourself? What was the process like for you? So I passed the first time. And I originally wasn't sure I was going to take it, but as it turns out, my senior year in college, I had done the Becker Campus Representative Program. So I had the materials. I just had never cracked them open. And when I decided to do it, I went ahead and just started studying. I did pass the first time. I think I was studying a little bit more of an unorthodox manner, just in terms of I study while watching television and I, I did more studying like while in transit than I feel like most people do. So I encourage people to do that. Like you'd be surprised at how much downtime you have. And so I did all of that and I, I ended up, I did pass on the first attempt. The, hard, okay. the hardest part I would say for me was actually getting the credits because when I graduated in California, California still was a two-path state where you could do the 150 hours or you could do a different path with the 120 and experience. And then when I moved back to Illinois, the 150 was required. So I had to go and make up some of those courses. And I ended up doing that through the cheapest community college courses I could find just so I could try to get the information I needed and make sure that I would qualify to sit for the exam. Okay. Okay. So where were you when you were taking the exam in California or Georgia? So I was in Illinois. So my hometown is Chicago. So I went from Chicago to California. Back to Illinois is how that went in the early part of the career. Okay. Well, the reason I was asking is you said in transit. And when you said that, I'm picturing someone on a subway because where I am, I drive. In Chicago on the L. Okay. I'm in South Texas, and we'll get in a wreck if we try to study for the CPA exam in transit. (laughs) I I have to drive. Because you're driving (laughs) everywhere. Yeah, you can't do that. (laughs) <laughs> you know, what's funny is I still see people tagging Peter Alento and Kim Garrity on posts on LinkedIn. So those guys are still at it. They're the same people that were doing it when I took it. Oh, yes. Yes. Actually, Tim Garrity was on our show probably a year ago, maybe a year and a half. And then Peter Alento sort of went on a tour of different cities, ended up where I am in San Antonio, Texas, speaking with some of the accounting students at our CPA Society offices. And so, yeah, they're very much still part of the program, <laughs> still the, yep. the lead national instructors. So, yeah. <laughs> and i tell you one thing, I appreciate Peter's dad jokes way more now than I did back then. <laughs> now that I have kids of my own. <laughs> Good deal. Well, I think we left off in your career with you were getting an MBA, and it sounds like maybe you had left Pepsi at that point. What happened uh, from there on? So I did the MBA while I was at Pepsi. So I was going to school at night trying to juggle month-end clothes, and my daughter was born one year into it. So things got very interesting. And while, while I was at Northwestern, 
I had the opportunity or consulting presented itself again. I had looked at it at undergrad and I kind of ruled it out really because I don't like airplanes. I'm a little bit afraid of flying, even though I do it all the time. But at that point, I ruled it out. When I came back to it in MBA school, I was thinking, you know, maybe I should consider it. I feel like it keeps you on your toes. There's enough variation and I get more of that high impact that I was looking for. So while I was there, I ended up applying or pursuing kind of consulting opportunities. And it took, I got an offer from Accenture and that's where I ended up leaving after I graduated. Okay. And what'd you do at Accenture? At Accenture, I was part of a a group. It was called Finance and Performance Management at the time. And that's where I started getting more into the reporting design and things like that. that you were describing and doing a lot more ERP system implementations of GL implementations and tools like Oracle and PeopleSoft and SAP. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious about this because I could see several possible reasons that your career went this direction. I know a lot of accountants that would like to get out of the standard month-end close, gym ledger, debits and credits kind of work and get into Mm -hmm. jobs that are more analytical, Mm -hmm. systems-oriented, that kind of thing. And your career went that direction really early. I'm curious, do you think it goes back to your original, your undergrad degree was a little different or maybe you got certified fairly early or the big company experience with PepsiCo. Is, is there anything you could put your finger on that this is why I ended up being able to go this direction or is it sort of a mixture? Do you, do you have any idea? So there's two ways I would probably answer it. So there's why on the skill set and being appealing to someone who's looking at you. And then there's a separate piece I would talk about as far as kind of the mindset Sure. We talk about the mindset piece first. Like for me personally, I really love accounting, but I also get bored with things easily, which is a hard thing to balance. And so if you're in a position where you have to be an accountant in this role for 12 months before you get promoted, and then an accountant in this other role that's very similar, but a different part of the P&L, my, my patience was very little for that. So when this opportunity presented itself to deal with accounting problems, but deal with more of them, in a shorter span of time, that was right up my alley. So that's why I pursued more of this finance and accounting operations type of consulting is the best of both worlds for me. As far as how you make yourself appealing to someone who's looking to attract that kind of person, um, going back to Northwestern did help, but these days, a lot of times it's looking for people with that accounting experience that can also demonstrate this knack for embracing the unknown and problem solving. So if you can put that kind of stuff on your resume and you're trying to make that change, that will make you appealing. That being said, that won't get you out of these things like busy season. I always say for consulting, it's always busy season if you're on a project. So if you're good with ebbs and flows and some ambiguity, then consulting might be the right way to go for you. Okay. That's good advice. Thank you. Thank you. That actually answers my question plus the, sort of the, the question of how to decide for yourself in <laughs> your own career. <laughs> Two for one. Yep. Beautiful. Beautiful. So... so <laughs> What, I guess, how did the position at Accenture benefit you? you know, what did you enjoy about it? What did you do exactly when you were with them? For, was it two so and a half, my, years? My very first part of it, yeah, it was, uh, thinking back now, but it was about three years, and I was actually living in Delaware at that time. So when I took the offer from Accenture, I was in Chicago, and then we moved east because we knew I would be traveling a lot, and my wife had some family out there. So I was based out of the Philadelphia office. But my first project my first real project was a PeopleSoft implementation. I was the R2R lead. And so that job entailed helping them 
figure out what requirements they need to have in place and how to have a system that made what they do faster and easier. This was back when things like electronic journal approval workflow wasn't as prominent as it is now. So getting people off paper and more comfortable with doing things on the screen, that was a big part of what we did. Okay. It sounds like those projects lasted a long time. You couldn't have done too many in three years. (laughs) (laughs) No, No. That one, honestly, was a little bit of a grind. I was on that one for about 14 months, and it oh, wow. was a French-based company. So I was going to France actually once a month for a, a week with two small oh. children and a wife at home. So it was tricky. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you know, I was thinking you, you made a few sacrifices you know, in order to, to move up, but key, key moves for sure. It's not all sacrifices, you know. Like they, they have some benefits, too. So I don't want to make it sound like it's all sacrifices and things like, you know, when they, I was there, I had a lot more flexibility for sure. And being home okay. on Fridays, a lot of times being able to pick my children up for school and some of that flexibility still applies today. So you take the pros with, with the less than pro, as I'll call it. Yeah, definitely. You have to, yeah. have to balance it out. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now you're at PwC now, which is interesting to me. I didn't plan it this way, but we've had it at least half a dozen people on the show from PwC, if not a dozen. I've been very fortunate with people at PwC being generous with their time on this podcast. So what do you do now at PwC? What's your role? So I'm a consulting director now at PwC. I'm in a similar group to when I was at Accenture, but actually part of the reason I left was that I thought that PwC would give me wider access to more accounting problems. So, for example, when the new revenue standard came out, ASC 606, no company would hire Accenture really to help them with that because that's an accounting problem, even though it also had a system component with it. And so being able to dabble more and work with some of my assurance counterparts and tax counterparts and things like that, that makes the job just even better for me. So that's a lot of what I do. New standard implementations, I do work on deals, M&A integrations or financial carve-outs I've worked on. I mentioned the system implementations. I still do some of that training on how to leverage different tools to become more efficient. So a tool like a black line for account reconciliations at bigger companies or closed management for global companies, things things of that nature. I mean, there's a lot, but that's a, a few examples. Okay. Okay. Are you typically working on one project at a time or do you, do you move around at all? I move around a good bit. Up until manager, you're probably doing one thing at a time. For me, I'm probably two, three things at a time. So right now, I have two active engagements and two active pursuits that I'm working. That's about normal, maybe more on the pursuit side. Okay, okay. When you say pursuits, so you definitely at this level are responsible for locating new engagements. <laughs> Business development is yeah, the term. Yeah, that's there. right. Okay. Yeah, so okay. it's like it's a combo of locating and cultivating, I would say. Sometimes things get brought to you, and sometimes it might be something you observe somewhere else, and you get pulled in, and you have to kind of help flesh it out. But, yeah, definitely have a sales target that we're driving towards. Okay, okay. How have you adjusted to that aspect? And I don't know, maybe you've been comfortable with that for a while, but the whole client relationship management and, you know, sniffing out new work and, and that kind of thing. Does that come pretty natural to you or is, is there anything you've done in your no. career? That, yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. I'm a classic introvert, I would say. And so um, what might be a little different than maybe some other introverts, I guess, is I really do like building relationships, but 
small settings and it, it may take a little time. So selling something in a quick 30 minute phone call was not my strong suit. So that's something that I'm actually still working on right now. And what different things can I try or, or tweak in terms of communication styles? I'm pretty laid back normally. It's a work in progress is what I would say about that. Definitely doesn't come to me naturally. Okay. Okay. Are there any secrets you could pass on to help people that do want to break out of their shell a little bit and adjust to being able to do that? Anything that you found successful for yourself? Yeah. So one thing, and I hope it's not true on this podcast, but one thing is making sure that you have more of that just modulation of your voice and not just straight monotone when you're talking to people. The other thing I think is just actually being, just telling people. So I interviewed with Johnson and Johnson my junior year in college, and I still remember this to this day. I didn't get the job. And I emailed them and asked for feedback. And I was lucky enough that someone actually did respond because a lot of times people don't. And they told me you were really great on paper, but we didn't feel like you wanted it that bad. Because I think it's more personality thing. So they didn't feel like I wanted it, even though I told them I wanted it. And I would have been a good fit, technically speaking. But there's always that culture aspect. You definitely have to keep that in mind. So I've kind of carried that with me throughout my career and at some points been better than others. Like under stress, I might revert back to my natural disposition a little more. But those are the things I would recommend. You know, just being explicit about you really want this and sharing the reasons why you want it. And when you're doing that, that'll probably lead to some natural excitement or the kind of voice modulation I was talking about. Interesting. Okay. That is some of the advice I give. I own a recruiting company in San Antonio and one of the pieces of advice or you know, one of the prep items we'll go over with candidates is that you know, a lot of things have to happen well or you know, have to happen right in the interview. But one of them is definitely that the employer has to feel like you actually want the job. <laughs> Got to. Because <laughs> you're probably not getting it otherwise. Yes. No matter how qualified you are, if you don't seem like you want it, you know, then it's not going to go too much further. So. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yep, okay. Sure. Why do you rarely one person applying for a job and rarely one person that can do the job applying for that job. So just got to keep that in mind. I like your advice to just be open about the fact that you're a little introverted because I think being honest about it probably does, does help in this conversation. This introversion is a topic that's come up a lot on my I podcast bet. about accounting <laughs> careers, you know? <laughs> I wonder why that is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can imagine. <laughs> So this actually segues really well, and I don't know if this is correct or not, but just in doing the research, it looks like during all this full-time work and consulting for clients that you started sort of a side gig doing career consulting, ericpbutts.com. What do you do exactly? Why did you decide to start this? How are you helping people? Yeah, t- tell us all about this because this is really intriguing to me. Well, so why I did it, I guess it's because I'm a crazy person. Looking for something else to add on to the full-time gig. But uh, like in reality, I started that as it was originally just a blog. I started while I was at Accenture. It was one of those things where I was kind of going through. And so it's been like since 2012, I think I've had that. But it was one of those things that I started because even with being fortunate to have some access to people in different programs that kind of have given me some knowledge about how to succeed in the workplace, there's a whole lot of stuff that I found out like later or after the fact where it was like, I really wish I would have known this beforehand. And so I just started writing it all down. 
Like maybe it'll help someone. If someone sees this and it helps them, then it, it was all kind of worthwhile. As I did it longer, though, it started, like it's not a huge blog, but it has definitely grown from when I started. And it, it's more time consuming as you're dealing with people's questions and stuff like that. And a little while into it, I guess I started looking into how can I monetize this and support the cost of even just breaking even of, of the hosting and different things that I was doing with it. So I started going down more of a marketing path, learning more about marketing. And now it's kind of the merging of all my worlds, the consulting, the accounting, the loving of coaching people, plus the marketing side. And that's where it all exists happily together on ericpbutts.com. Okay. Do you do career coaching formally with individuals or is that Yep. So as far as what I do there, so there's the coaching aspect. I do some coaching through the site. I also do coaching through my day gig at PwC, where I'm a formal relationship leader is what we call it there. And then I also have a couple other course offerings that some people have shown interest in. One of them is on just learning how to use Excel more efficiently. Like it's not super advanced with macros or anything like that, but helping people just not be afraid of pivot tables is one of the things. And then the other is on how do you craft a compelling resume and building more out on that. Things like how do you write emails that people respond to? Because I get a lot of people pitching me both from a career and a business perspective when they see what I'm doing. So I see a lot of pitches and I have a, a good sense of what people are doing and what works and doesn't work. Okay. Okay. What's your long-term vision for this? Or have you been able to think about it past this year and next year? A long-term vision? I don't totally know because I feel like if you're in the coaching space, one of the best things you can bring to the table is still being a practitioner. So knowing what's working right in that moment. So I don't know that I would ever want to stop what I'm doing and do that full time, but I would like to get more exposure there. I always tell people that when it's all said and done, I want to be your favorite accountant's favorite accountant. Oh, I like that. Your favorite accountant's favorite accountant. Okay. I had to laugh a little bit when you were saying you have an Excel training module out there just because you, you're just really determined for someone to never type in a full Excel spreadsheet again. It's probably... <laughs> never again. Hey, I'm curious. I didn't realize you, you have something out there on resumes as well. Uh, what are some of the most common mistakes, maybe too strong a word, but most common things that could be improved on resumes that you see? What are some of your thoughts? on resumes that oh, you, man. you know, get me started on that. We'll go another hour. Um, <laughs> Just one or two. Some other things. So one of the things is the including every task you've ever done for every job you've ever had. Like nobody wants to read all that. So like the way I see each resume should be precision, laser focused on whatever job it is you're applying to. Maybe you can get away if there are similar types of jobs using the same resume, but every bullet should have a purpose that serves to prove why you're good for that job. So that's thing number one. Thing number two is this idea of putting in objective or a summary that talks about what you want in a job. Like the hiring person isn't really interested in what you're looking for. They're looking for what they're looking for. So you have to approach your resume. It's kind of linked to what I just said, but it's always got to be from a what's in it for them perspective. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Those those are two golden pieces of advice. I'll tell you on the first one, I tell people that your resume is is like valuable real estate. And like you said, each bullet has to have a purpose. If if you read each line and you're not sure why it's on or a line and you're not sure why it's on there, well, then you need to replace it or remove it. Yeah. Yep. Got to <laughs> um, go. Yeah. Got to go. Got to go. I love that. Yeah. Beautiful. 
a large part of our audience, not not all, but a large part of our audience is made of what I call up and coming professionals. Your you know individuals maybe in their junior or senior year in college, but then also first two or three years in their careers as well. What do you feel someone at that level needs to know now about getting started and growing their career overall? Because yours has grown fast and you're helping others. So I'm curious, what message would you have for someone at that point in their career at this point? So one of my number one messages would be always make time to manage your career. Because what happens with a lot of people in these positions, we're high achievers, right? And we want to show that we're good at our job. But being good at your job isn't enough to progress. And if you don't prioritize managing career, then nobody will. So you'll see yourself getting looked over for promotions that you probably could have gotten because you were too busy making your deliverable look extra pretty. So always make time to manage your career. Beautiful. Okay. Is there anything, you know, if you could go back in time and give yourself, your younger self, one piece of critical advice, is there anything that comes to mind that you would want to tell your younger self? I would probably say take more risks sooner. I think I might have even written about this a few years ago, and I think it still holds. Just being more calculated in the risks you take. So for me personally, part of me feels like maybe I should have tried more in the entrepreneurship space earlier, but now I have all these other things and family depending on me. It's more of a risk now that I am doing on the side instead of jumping all in. But understanding kind of what you want, understanding kind of the landscape and pros, cons, and just try stuff. Like, try it. If it doesn't work, you can do something different. Like, you're not married to anything. So that's what I would tell my younger self. Wonderful. Well, I end every podcast with the same three questions, and you're director of consulting, so time is money. I know we need to. (laughs) 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 I better, better get to those. The first one is usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? So this might sound kind of shallow, but I'm going to say it anyway. My proudest career moment was the day I got that offer from Accenture. The offer came in 30K above what I thought it would be, and I almost fainted when I heard it on the phone. And so all all that work of going to school at night and having a baby in the middle of it, like it really paid off, and that was a life-changing event for us. Wow. You should be a career consultant. If (laughs) You're definitely qualified. Wow. Okay. Yeah, good pick. <laughs> well, second question, tell us about a lesson you learned the hard way. And of course, the more you can tell us about the situation, the better, because that's how we learn from it. Yes, I will tell you about one that's very much burned into my brain as well. So when I was at PepsiCo, this was probably my fourth year. So it wasn't right before I left. This was the situation. There was a supervisor position that had opened my supervisor. And at that point, because of how I had been able to move around, I had done three out of the four roles that reported to that supervisor. So I knew I was younger and maybe he wouldn't qualify for another supervisor role. But for this one, I thought that was a slam dunk. Like I did three of the jobs personally. Like why could I not be the supervisor? Mm -hmm. And what I did was I sent an email to the senior manager at the time and I very much like softballed it. And I sent him an email that said something along the lines of, could I be considered a yes, no question? And the response I got back was just one line. And it said, it's too soon. And that was the end of the discussion. I didn't follow up. I didn't do anything. So there's multiple things I probably would have done differently on that. One, come with a stronger pitch on why I think it should be me and steal that confidence in him. And two, even if I didn't do that, 
I should have gone and had a face-to-face conversation on what does it's too soon means. And I know there's politics and stuff like that, but it was kind of a cop-out, like in hindsight. So I would have handled that situation differently. Mm. Well, for what it's worth, I think probably the response should have, to you should have been handled differently also. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I think that's true. That's another lesson that I always talk about. And I mean, you probably know this, right, Mark? Just, you got to control what you can control. So even if you gave me a, a subpar answer, I should have taken action on my side and then let the chips fall where they may. Mm. That's a great point. That's a great way to look at it. Well, last question. It took me a while to get there, but that's where I'm at now. <laughs> that's what's important. Last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received? The best piece of advice I've ever received is you can always find a reason for not doing something. So if you want it, you just need to go out and get it. Mm, I love that. You definitely seem like a man of action, for sure. Yeah. got to be. <laughs> I mean that very complimentary. things happen. I appreciate that. Well, Eric, this has been really fun for me. I know the audience is going to get a lot out of it as well. If people want to find out more about you and and your consulting or or just in general, where would you point them to online? Yep, they can go check out ericpbutts.com slash accountants. Put in your email address and I will send you a gift just for your listeners. Oh, wow. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) This is the first time in... 170 plus episodes that uh, a guest has come up with something just for our listeners. So thank you very much. I feel like I finally made it now. <laughs> no problem. It's good. It's good to be a trendsetter. <laughs> well, this has been a really good conversation. I really do appreciate your time. And yeah, I look forward to maybe catching up with you later on down the road. All right. That sounds good. Thanks for reaching out. I'm glad to chat with you. Well, that was my interview with Eric P. Butts, and I really enjoyed this one. This one was definitely a little unique. Some of the takeaways, or two of the takeaways, I guess, I had personally from this particular discussion were, number one, just how intentional Eric has been about his career and how that's really paid off. Like I mentioned in the intro, his career or the direction he's taken his career in is something I hear desired by many accountants all the time. And he was very intentional about it and it's worked out well for him. And then secondly, my second takeaway is I think it's really cool how he's paying it forward now. Yeah, that's really neat to see when someone achieves some success and then decides to help others do the same. That's really cool. There was really a lot of truth in the insights that Eric shared with us today, and I think it's going to benefit a lot of people. If you personally found value in this episode for yourself, like I mentioned earlier, please make sure and leave us a rating in your podcast app. We really appreciate you taking the time to do so. Well, thank you again for joining us. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. We'll see you all next week. There's more to come.